the Triathlon Show 320. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview coach Brenton Ford. Brenton is a swim coach based in Australia, and he's the founder of Effortless Swimming that I'm sure a lot of you have already heard about, seen their YouTube videos, or listened to their podcast. Brenton was previously on That Triathlon Show all the way back in episode 18, and then we mostly talked about open water swimming, but today we dive deep into technique and technique development, specifically in the context of age group triathletes who are somewhat time restricted when it comes to the swim training they can do. We also discuss things like video analysis and the general training structure, how to improve your swim fitness, and plenty of other bits and pieces. But before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Fuel and Hydration. Precision Fuel and Hydration have a range of tools and products to help you personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so that you can perform at your best. Regular listeners of the show will know them as Precision Hydration, but they have changed their name to reflect the fact that they have been helping athletes with hydration and nutrition for a long time now and have products in both of these categories. Everyone sweats at a different rate and need individualized hydration and sodium intake strategies. And also fueling strategies need to be individualized because they depend on factors such as duration and intensity of the activity. So a one-size-fits-all approach to fueling and hydration doesn't cut it. Head to precisionfuelandhydration.com and use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte and carbohydrate needs during training and racing and book a free one-to-one video consultation with the team to refine your strategy as a listener of the show you can get 15 percent off your first order of fueling and hydration products with the code tts22 at checkout at precisionfuelandhydration.com and thank you to roca roca produce exceptional quality triathlon wetsuits trisuits swimskins goggles performance sunglasses and prescription eyeglasses and sunglasses if you want to go faster in the water or on the bike, then consider getting a Roka wetsuit or trisuit. But for today, let's talk a little bit more about Roka's performance sunglasses. Roka's performance sunglasses are made for advanced performance even in the most extreme conditions. They are unbelievably lightweight, have amazing optics, and they cannot fall off your face thanks to the patented Geeko anti-slip technology. Personally, I love the Matador model, but uh, you can choose between a number of different models to find uh, the pair that uh, fits your preferences and requirements the most, uh, both in terms of function and style. Visit roca.com forward slash TTS for 20% off your entire order. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with coach Brenton Ford. Welcome back to That Travel Show, Brenton. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Michael. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, you were one of the very early guests uh, of the podcast back in episode 18 or so, I, I believe. So that's been, uh, what, three, four years almost. So uh, for the many new listeners that we have since then, can you introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, thank you. Um, so my name is Brenton Ford. I run a swimming coaching company called Effortless Swimming. And we specialize in helping triathletes improve their swimming technique. So I started this business about 12 years ago. 
And over that time, I've worked with six or 7,000 different swimmers with underwater filming and video analysis. And we've I've really just focused on what can we do to help triathletes and swimmers get faster, understand technique, and and make those changes over a couple of months or a couple of years. So um, that's been my specialty for the last uh, couple of years. And prior to that, I was a competitive swimmer, so I made a few national age finals as a junior. And then I coached a master swimming club, which is an adult swimming club here in Australia, for about eight years and took them to five national club championships. And after that, I sort of went full-time with the business and now we run a lot of clinics around Australia coach a lot of people online and uh, also when things when we can we run camps overseas too so my life is uh is 90 percent swimming and uh, i just i love swimming i love coaching and really working with adults to improve their technique so i'm glad i get to do what i do yeah no, that's that's awesome and uh you've also done an ironman yourself i i know and was that because you you wanted to see what swimming in the context of triathlon is like you you did ironman new zealand i believe yeah that's right i call myself a one-hit wonder when it comes to triathlon i did one season where i did uh, an olympic distance a half and a full and i was booked in to do ironman melbourne and that was the year the last year that they ran it so ended up cancelling it so i had to book in and i did new zealand over in taupo and i wanted to do it just to tick it off the bucket list because it was something that i wanted to do since I had a lot of friends in the sport and also just to see what's that experience like and I found it helped immensely when it came to coaching others just to understand what does your body go through when you're doing so many hours on the bike and on the run does it actually impact your swim and obviously it does so for me it was a good experience just from a, a coaching point of view as well but I found it really fun I love training for it I loved being that fit and uh, yeah, maybe down the track when the kids are a bit older I, I might get back into it so wait and see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the first question that I want to ask you uh, on the topic of swimming for triathlon is, can you describe or in your opinion, what limits swim performance for age group triathletes and how to overcome that? So you talked a lot about technique, uh, but here we can get into perhaps when it is technique, when it might be fitness and and, and all of the kind of nuances and, and points on the spectrum in between. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, as a triathlete, you're limited with the amount of time you can put into the swim because you've got two other sports to train for. So time's probably the number one limiting factor. And so for a lot of people, that might be might be three or four hours a week that they can swim. So in that time period, you need to make the most of the limited amount of time you've got in the water. So time's number one. The second one can be uh, fatigue as well so when you are training for those other sports you might come off the bike or off the run pretty fatigued in the legs and and maybe not feeling that great when you get into the pool so uh sometimes you need to adjust your, your training to to account for that and just make sure you are still getting some sort of intensity into your into your training the other thing can be mobility personally i found when i i started doing triathlon i came from a swimming background my mobility was really good and then as soon as i was as soon as i was spending several hours on the bike and hunt in this hunched over position and i started and i was running as well i just found generally i got a lot tighter through the the shoulders my thoracic spine or thoracic mobility was limited too so i found a bit of an impact there i couldn't rotate as well i couldn't um, recover over the top of the water, water as easily so there's there's mobility limitations there 
too. And it's, it's not to say you can't overcome them, but I think it just takes a a little bit of managing some of some of those things as well. The the other thing too is obviously open water swimming can be quite different to pool swimming, and learning how to swim in the open water well is different to swimming well in the pool. And it's one of the challenges that I have when I'm working with people is that normally we want to try and try to get them to swim well in the in the pool first just understand some of the concepts uh, the main concepts around technique and what's important then when they're they're comfortable with that we sort of build into taking that kind of stroke but perhaps with a couple of changes into the open water so uh, it's uh, it's it's different than coaching just a traditional swimmer I know when I first started coaching I came from the understanding that um that you know everyone knows how to swim and if you ask them to make a change they should just be able to do it but that was just me as a naive young coach whereas uh, a lot of people don't know some of the fundamentals of of swimming so sometimes you have to start with the with the basics and uh, but triathlon swimming is very different than your traditional pool swimming so for me it took probably four or five years to really understand that and uh, when I finally understand it, I think it made me a much better coach and for the athletes I was coaching it uh it made a big difference but uh I think that's a mistake that a lot of swim coaches have when they're working with triathletes is they're trying to teach them to be a swimmer and not a triathlon swimmer yeah no I 100% agree I actually had that very specific discussion with with an athlete yesterday when when discussing things like squad squad swims and and so on and things to to just uh keep an eye out for and, and be be mindful of um then yeah on, on the, the balance of technique and fitness so what's your opinion there are more of the athletes that you i mean maybe there is a bit of a bias there because you're as you mentioned you're kind of a, a business that focuses a lot on the technique aspects and doing video analysis and, and things but but just in general do you have an opinion on whether most age groupers are more limited technically or whether for for a lot of them it's actually just swimming more and then everything will sort itself out once you get a bit more specific swim fitness what's your uh, take on the balance there yeah uh, aerobically most of triathletes i work with they're really good you know aerobically they're very fit so it's not a matter of not a matter of increasing their aerobic fitness uh because it's just so strong from the other other two sports and this is general terms of of course but for many of them it is it is technical provided that they're doing three sessions a week in the pool so if you're doing two sessions a week you probably need to really pick it up to three to to see some benefit and obviously four is four is better if you can but minimum sort of three to really get a see some good improvement so if they're doing three and they've got some well structured sets that has got them perhaps changing pace as they go through it, working the different zones and um, yeah, and mixing things up a bit rather than just swimming 2K straight every session, which we see with some new triathletes. And I was speaking to a guy this morning who uh, was doing just doing 1,500 or 2K straight and he was doing it as a time trial every swim that he, uh, every session he did. And, yeah, it can that can work to a certain point, but you're going to be limited with what you can achieve after that because you talk to any top triathlete, any top swimmer, their sets involve warm-up, main set, and that's got intervals of 100, 200, and so on. And there's there's different paces and efforts and all that sort of stuff. So uh, making sure you've got some good workouts there, um, which as a coach, you obviously you, you know what that looks like. And then after that, I think a lot of the times it comes down to technique 
um, obviously I'm a little bit biased there, but I think it's such a major factor. And then open water skills and the and the ability to race well too. So uh, that's really you know the, the 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 main things that people can do to see an improvement if they've got the the basics of you know, doing the sessions, having some good workouts. It's often the the technique that's holding them back after that. Yeah, no, that makes makes all sense. So let's get into a discussion on technique and and how to improve your technique. Um, perhaps I don't know where you want to start. If you want to take this in a slightly different direction, that's that's okay. But I know you've been talking about on your podcast and your YouTube about five core principles for technique in freestyle swimming. So maybe that's a good place to start with discussing your views on what is good freestyle technique for triathletes. Yeah, absolutely. And before that, I think something that's important to know as well is that any changes that you make to your stroke is uh it's going to take time so when i'm working with people face to face i let them know what to expect up front so everyone's different with what they need to work on and when you're making changes and making them correctly people are different that some people will get faster some people stay the same and some people will actually get slower even if they're doing the right thing initially it just depends on what you're, you're changing and for me when i started coaching i thought any change you make should immediately make you faster, and the the mis the mis that's a misconception because that sometimes you'll be using different muscles and muscle groups, so it's going to take a little bit of strength and time. You know, it's going to take time to develop that, and it's a motor pattern that you might have had for several years. That's all your technique is. It's this this muscle memory you've got, and so it takes typically six to eight weeks to be able to to change that sometimes longer and so you often are not going to make these changes and get it right every stroke you might get it right one stroke out of four then we just want to build up the consistency there so when people are patient and they're not trying to force these changes i find that's when they typically do best because if we're relaxed and we're calm when we're swimming we tend to swim faster and we move better so those people that are wanting to just get immediate improvement straight away then they often don't swim as well because they're just trying to to force it. So it's just, I think having the the, the attitude of uh, I'm just happy being you know, sort of where I'm at, and if as long as I focus on the technique for the next six to eight weeks, then I will see the changes. Because I often get emails two or three months after a clinic, uh, or with working with someone where they're like nothing was happening for a long time, then all of a sudden it clicked, and then I could take five or ten or fifteen seconds off my hundred, but it felt like you know, nothing was happening for a while, but it just takes time to to develop it. So I think that's an, an important thing uh, because otherwise people don't stick with the changes long enough. Yeah, just, gr- yeah. Gr- great, great preamble and uh, yeah, well, great, great kind of <laughs> warning for the users, so to say. Yeah, absolutely. And a, a coach that I've, I've worked with is a, a ex-Olympian from New Zealand. He he talks about the pit of discomfort that when you make any sort of changes it's going to feel uncomfortable and awkward more times than not. And so that's a sign that you're actually making making a change and then it's not until that new motor pattern is established that it actually feels feels good. So um, when I'm working with people at clinics, I'll let them know, like, don't worry if it feels like, yes, that, you know, all right, my stroke's feeling better or if it feels like you've completely forgotten how to swim. At least you've changed something because that's our that's our goal. It should be... Uh, you might feel some discomfort there, and that's a that's a good thing. Uh, so that's what's important going into it. And then in terms of the stroke, I've found there's it was typically this order that I'd go through in my mind when I was analysing technique with people. And I 
you've probably done the same when you're thinking of you're watching someone, you're, you're looking to improve their stroke. It's like we don't immediately go to the catch and pull. We might look at their breathing to start with and then their alignment and a couple of other things. So for me, I, I found it was helpful to write down these five core principles because usually for people, you know, we want to go through the stroke in, in that order. And so um, for me, it was you know, initially the first thing we want to look at is their breathing and relaxation because if you're panicked, you're short of breath, then everything else is going to go out the, the window. So that's the uh, the very first thing that we we like to look at. And there's so much that can go into your breathing. Like I had a uh, like someone who works with breathing with people uh, on, on our podcast and there's just so much that I didn't know. Like I've looked into this, we studied it quite a bit the last two or three years and with your, with your breathing, like it's the only part of your autonomic nervous system that you've actually got control of. So our stress response, you know, to perhaps being on the start line or having someone swim over the top of us, the only thing we can actually control is it, with our stress response is our breathing. So if we can get that under control and we can learn to breathe better, then that's a huge part of not only swimming but I think yeah, but life as well. So that's something that, um, yeah, that we do like to, to look at first. After that, uh, we often sort of look at, balance so we want to find our balance which is pretty much your body position which is the first way that you can swim faster which is to minimize drag so we look at is there something causing their balance to be thrown off and as you know head position is a big one uh, but there's also a lot of other factors such as how people enter and the depth of their hand and their kick uh, and how they hold their body and their posture the third principle uh, we look at alignment so that's kind of what the hands are doing at the front we also look at the um, recovery and the the entry there, and then the fourth one's the catch and pull, and then the last one is the rhythm and the timing, putting it all together, which is like the dancing part of swimming. It's just where everything you know goes into um, goes into sync. So that's this destruction. If if for those that are listening, uh, if you look up five core principles effortless swimming, we've got those listed on our website, and you can read more about them there. But if you are either like looking at your own videos and wondering what do I start with those five core principles could be a good way to uh, to go. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's absolutely right, having some sort of checklist that you go through to make sure that you you cover all the bases when, when analyzing, uh, whether it's swim technique or something else, that's, that's really useful. Um, and do you find that any one of these, that, uh, that they are kind of, that more people have problems with one of these than, than with others, or is it fairly evenly spread uh, across the demographic of swimmers that you work with? I'd say the more beginner they are probably the earlier the principle they need to work on so more beginner it's often breathing or balance a little bit more experienced sometimes it's the the alignment rotation recovery uh and then for the more experienced often it's changes to the catch and pull and all the 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 rhythm and timing of things that that they need to work on that said obviously it goes across the board but that seems to be the the way for those that have been new it's uh it's often core principle one or two. So it just depends where you are with your, your swimming in terms of where you might really look to start. But I've found also those that are pretty experienced, they still pick up things in when they focus on their breathing um, or focus on their balance because there's always these little things that we can can change and improve. So I found it to work well for pretty much all level of triathlete. Yeah, no, that makes, makes total sense. Uh, next, I would like to discuss uh, the concept of a high elbow with you that's something that uh, that you show really well i think in some of your youtube videos when you're analyzing strokes so can you 
can you explain a little bit how, what you consider what what a high elbow means to you basically yeah there's uh, there's so much confusion around the term high elbow and i think that's for a couple of reasons P, uh, coaches often talk about a high elbow recovery which is when your arm comes over the top of the water so that can sometimes get confused with a high elbow catch which is what's happening under the water so first of all with a high elbow recovery that's often just referred to as you kind of need the elbow coming over the water somewhat you know with a bit of clearance as opposed to the elbow keeping really low but what we're talking about here is the high elbow catch and when I first heard this term as a swimmer back as a teenager I thought that meant elbow near the surface so you should keep your elbow really close to the surface because that's what a high elbow is and I found when I did that it felt kind of awkward but I thought all right I'll just keep trying it but it never really sort of worked well for me when I tried to do that and the further when I started coaching I obviously looked into it and I did a lot of filming with people and uh, the high elbow catch is really just it's the position we want swimmers to get towards when their fingertips are pointing down so it, I know it's a podcast, so it's hard to convey this uh, visually, but the the start of the catch I consider to be when you're on your side, one arm's fully extended out the front, so when you're at full reach. I consider that to be the start of the catch. Then when your hand and forearm moves downwards to when the fingertips first start pointing down, that's about where where the end of your catch is. And in that position, we want to get this high elbow catch. And the way that I would define it would be if – uh, if we were looking side on at you in that position, if we drew a line from your shoulder to your fingertips, if the elbow was above that line, that's a high elbow. So it's a better term for it can be like elbow forwards position uh, in, uh, because obviously a dropped elbow is when the elbow is sort of uh, pointing to the bottom of the pool. So you th- can think of it like a elbow forwards position. Now, Sometimes when people uh, think of this, and that been... that line, that line, just to make it very clear, would be a a straight line, a diagonal from the from the shoulder to the fingertips. It wouldn't be a squiggly line that follows the shape of the arm. But the the whole point of it is that it's a straight line, and then once your elbow is in that kind of higher or more forward position, then it would be uh, it, it would be above that diagonal, and that would be kind of the. That, that would be the sign that you, uh, you're you're having a, a high higher elbow, high-ish elbow. Yeah, and that's uh, and so that position is it's important because then our hand and forearm is angled to press back a lot better than if it's if the hand and forearm is is facing downwards because it's pressing down doesn't do much to move you forwards. And often coaches will use this term early vertical forearm, but to me it's it, it's made sense, but it's it's very hard to achieve. And I think it can lead to the idea that you need to get your hand and forearm at 90 degrees, like really, really vertical to be swimming well. And that can really cause you to go to some uncomfortable positions with your with your stroke. So I've, I've filmed a lot of really good triathletes, really good swimmers, and a bunch of them, like the, I'd say close to the majority of them actually, are only just in this high elbow position. They're not looking like, Michael Phelps with this 90 degree catch that's really extreme because like most of us as adults and they're not training 10 sessions a week and super flexible we don't have that range through the shoulders so there's no need to go to this extreme position because it's just it's awkward it's not sustainable and you're probably not going to get that in the open water anyway so when I'm coaching people I'd I'd like to I like them to get to these pretty extreme positions in the drills just to get an awareness and feel for it but when they swim 
they don't need to do that. So um, yeah, that's a that's a high elbow as best as I can explain on a on a podcast. But it's uh, yeah, it's something that's that we it's really important. And the best way I've found to improve that position for most adults is with some drills breaking down that aspect of the stroke because it's it can be very hard to just let's say hear me talk about the catch and then just try and change it in their stroke without actually breaking down that uh, that movement. And so if you can do that with some drills, that uh, gives you lots of time, lots of space just to be able to to improve it and uh, and make those changes on the on their own, then you can start to build that up to the full stroke. So what we normally suggest for people is we'll give them like a, a couple of different drill progressions and do that as part of your warm-up every time you swim and that's going to start that process it's going to get that ball rolling to to improve your your catch because it's about consistency if you want to change your technique it's not about doing an hour of drills once a fortnight because that's not going to do a thing for you really and uh yeah and we've seen we've seen really good results because like i work with work with people online they'll send me their videos and i'll analyze them kind of weekly basis but also with people who come to clinics we do follow-ups and they might come two months or three months later and do that every couple of months and it's awesome to see that progression of those people who i've seen once and then they'll practice the drills come back two months later and we can see that change in their catch and um when they follow it you yeah it's, it's really obvious how how well you can improve that really important part of the stroke Mm. what are a couple of drills that you would uh, suggest to improve that part of the stroke yeah there's normally two different types of progressions so one that we came up with a couple of years ago that we use in clinics it's, it's called the ymca drill progression on our youtube channel if you look up uh ymca drill effortless i mean it'll come up and this is just where you move your arms through the four key positions in the stroke and uh, that's been really good at just breaking down the important parts of the catch and pull so that's uh, that's quite a good one. The other couple of drills that we like to do, there's we call it slow doggy scoop, which is like a um, like a, a dog paddle type drill with your arms just out the front, and it's just where you're moving through the catch, coming back out the front. Um, what do you call that? What do you call that one? Yeah, I would call it doggy paddle. Doggy paddle. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of that one. Uh, there's another one called that we call catch kick. It's just where you're kicking on your side with your arm in that high elbow catch, and again, it's just building that awareness for that position. And another drill that's similar to that, it's like a combination of the two. So you're on your side, one arm out the front, and you're just going through that doggy paddle or, or dog scoop motion. And uh, that can be good too. So people respond differently to different drills. So I like them to try a couple, see which ones work for them, and then use those in their in their program. And the other thing that I found really helpful when you think of your, your catch and pull is that from the start of the stroke to the back of the stroke, it's should be slow to fast. So it's not like you're turning the pedals on a bike at a constant speed. It should be slower out the front. So from the reach to the catch, you're going to move slightly slower through that part of the stroke. Then you'll accelerate and speed up a bit out the back. So movements in swimming are slow to fast. And that plays in really well to the next point, which is your catch is more the setup phase, not the power phase. So often when uh, people come to me and they're trying to go faster, we see them rip really hard in the catch. They try and get all their speed, all their power, in the very first part but the thing is through the catch it's an overhead motion so movement so you're not very strong through that overhead movement and secondly if you just go for broke at the start you're only pressing down on the water you're not set up to press back so if you think of your catch as more of a setup motion to then apply a bit more power and accelerate through it you tend to find you have a better catch you hold more water 
and it's a lot easier and it's faster as well. So they're two things that I find really can make a difference for people if they uh, are going about it a different way. Yeah, that that's an excellent point. It's definitely not the first time we have discussed that on the on the podcast with going uh, from slow to fast. But the way you broke it down there, the reasons for why, I think honestly, that's the the, the best explanation I've ever heard for why it makes so much sense to to do it that way. So so kudos for for that. That was a great explanation. Um, then on, on the technique side, still staying on that, do you think, are there any common kind of myths or misconceptions or mistakes that you see people do or hear about that, that you would like to point out and maybe give a different view on? Yeah. Uh, one thing that, one thing that I see a lot, and this is not necessarily a, a particular technique or, you know, a common issue with, uh, with freestyle, but, I find that uh, people tend to jump around a lot with what they're working on and they might see a certain way of swimming and then completely change their stroke to fit in with this type of swimming. So, and look, uh, with the videos that we do on YouTube, which I post videos pretty regularly and I'm talking about different parts of the stroke, it might be good for 20% of the people watching. It might be something that they need to work on. But for the other 80%, it might be irrelevant so it's 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 good to uh i think if you can get some sort of like filming done or some sort of coaching from from someone maybe get two or three things to actually work on that specific to you and then just turn off all the noise shut off all the noise and focus only on those because it's very easy to get distracted even from you know an instagram video or you know, listening to me me talk here but when you actually have something specific to work on that's that's relevant for you that's when you really see some um some big changes not that it not that it doesn't help you know people do get ideas from watching different videos and stuff but uh it is easy to get distracted the other thing is obviously with the stroke one of the main ones can be the alignment which is so common if you go to a public pool and you look at 10 people swimming you'll probably see at least half of them are are crossing over out the front so when the hand enters it crosses the center line so with a lot of the swimmers i work with it's i say to them if you can get on what we call the train track so if you imagine you've got tracks that run in line with your ears, every time your hand enters and you reach forward, you want to follow that track. Um, so we call that swimming on train tracks. And if, you know, if, if people can get on those train tracks, if they are crossing over, it can iron out a lot of the other issues that we see throughout the stroke. So that's, uh, that's a really big one. And the thing about that part of the stroke is they've often got to exaggerate it to the point that they think they're going way too wide, that it's got to be completely incorrect. Like, our proprioception in front of our head is very poor for most people and that's not anyone's fault that's just that's just what it is it's and and even me personally I've swum for a long time but my proprioception out the front's really poor so sometimes when we're making these changes we've just got to exaggerate them to the point that we think this surely can't be right and when you do that then we normally you know then you normally have made the change so for that one for example if you if you are crossing over or you're not sure look forward and see what your hands are doing when you if they are crossing over, then you can adjust it with that visual feedback in, in, in front of you just by looking up occasionally. Uh, so that, the good, that's the good thing about crossing over. You can change it and get that immediate feedback. Um, after that, I think like the catch in the pool, to me, that's the 20% of the stroke that can make 80% of the difference. So I have a big focus on that with the, the swimmers I work with. Uh, and that, aside from that, you know, we sometimes look at things like posture and, and what the kick is doing. So a helpful thing with with posture 
is that if you have poor posture when you swim, so you're rounded through the shoulders and hunched over, then you don't end up using your your lats, your upper, uh, so lower traps, your rhomboids very well compared to if you have good posture. So like if you were standing up straight like a soldier to attention almost, that's a similar sort of posture that we we want. And the difference with that is is huge because we'll get swimmers going through this exercise at clinics where they'll partner up, they'll put one hand, one person put their hand on top of the other person's up at shoulder height, we'll get them to hunch their shoulders and then push down as hard as they can. And then we'll get them to go to good posture, up straight, chest out, shoulders back but still relaxed, push down as hard as they can. And it's usually twice the power that they've got just because they're using their their back and shoulders uh, in, in a better way. They're using the bigger muscles through there. And so that's a good way to highlight, you know, just swimming with good posture can make a huge difference for someone who might be swimming with poor posture. And look, probably a quarter to a fifth of the swimmers that I see are swimming with poor posture. But for those that are and then they change it, it's it's night and day uh, between the, the two positions. Mm, yeah, no, there's, there's some excellent points. And uh, since you mentioned that the uh, the catch and pull uh, might be the the twenty percent that makes eighty percent of the difference, uh, I just want to ask you as well about the pull through. We already mentioned accelerating through it and uh, stroke going from slower to faster. But other than that, are there any other tips for things one can do to improve the pull through or, or just common mistakes in in that area to avoid? Yeah, there's there's a couple so one is through the catch and pull we want to try and keep the fingers pointing to the bottom of the pool they can come off to the side a little bit but not too much so sometimes we will see swimmers when they're they've gone through their catch they're about to pass under their shoulder sometimes their thing they'll let their fingers point directly to the side of the pool and we find that leads to a just a, a poorer catch position they don't hold as much water so keep the fingers pointing down when you finish at the back try and keep your palm facing behind you pretty much all the way it will turn into the side of the body uh, just towards the very end but keep the palm facing behind you the whole way through the stroke it just makes you have more surface area when you're pressing back sometimes swimmers will i call it take the easy option so their their palm will turn into their body from once they're almost at their belly button all the way back to their hip so it's like they're slicing out the back and they just lose so much propulsion out the back there so that's an important one And the other one too is when they do finish out the back, just make sure you press back just past your hip. A lot of swimmers that that I work with end up being very short. They're coming up before the the hip and then they're losing up to to 20% of their overall distance per stroke just because they're finishing really short. And so I was working with a guy on the weekend actually who um, it was was, was a really big, well, it it was a really sort of simple change that he had to make. Uh, but it made a huge difference. So he was he was stuck at 145 per 100 pace for you know, for his sets and for his his races. And when we looked at him, he was swimming so short. He was both hands were coming out well before the hip. There was no reach and extension out the front. So he was just this a uh, lot of turnover, lot of effort. And he said he he was doing that because he was swimming with athletes that were doing. 130s and so I think for him to he was originally like two minute pace so for him to get down to that 145 he just turned his rating up and you know and and got through it that way but he was stuck at this 145 and then what we had to do was just work on a bit more length out the front so get him to actually reach and rotate out in front of him before he pulled through and finish off further out the back and when he made that change like he was able to do it pretty easily once he actually saw what his what the problem was and it just it looked so much better better and I didn't check his stroke count or anything but just looking at it 
it, it was it was a re- much longer stroke, and that's I've got no doubt that that's going to get him down to that one thirty that he was sort of aiming for. So um, yeah, it, it, there's a couple obvious ones that often uh, that we see when we're filming people. Yeah, that, that, that's, those are some really good points as well. Um, now, well, let's jump a little bit here uh, because we're talking about technique. So I want to get to the video analysis part of the questions here. Uh, and I mean, we've kind of discussed around this already, but if, if you just put it down into into uh, a short and concise answer, what is the value of having a video analysis done for your swim technique? Yeah, it, it helps you see exactly what you're doing in the water and what you think you're doing is probably very different than what you're actually doing. So if you can close that gap, then that's the first step to actually changing your stroke because uh, I'd, I'd say there's probably 10% of people that I, I work with that are swimming how they thought they were swimming. And so it's just a real eye-opener. Eye and for many people, they're afraid to get the video analysis because they don't want to see it. They know it's going to be bad or they're embarrassed with how they, they look or how they swim. But to me, it's just like ripping off a Band-Aid. Painful at first. But then that's when the, the healing begins. That's when when it can actually get better. So uh, it can be a big step for people to, to get that done or have a coach look at them or even just looking at their own video. But it is it is worthwhile to, to do. There's nothing better than that for swimming, I reckon. Yeah, no, 100% agree with that. And uh, well, you mentioned there the, both, both the options of having a coach help you with it or doing it yourself. What, what do you say are the pros and cons of, of each of those options? Yeah, I've had a number of people who have looked at their own video and if the if the things that they need to change are obvious, they can they can certainly pick up some some things and, and work on those. Uh, particularly things like a crossover, which is which is really obvious. Sometimes if they're lifting their head when they breathe, that's that's quite obvious too. Uh, so you you can certainly go a long way with just seeing your own video if you know what to look for. And people that have looked watch some of our feedback friday videos on youtube they get a pretty good understanding of what they're they're going for uh, but i think a coach can really help you break it down in terms of what should you work on first and they can really be a lot more granular with the with the analysis so often i'll get sent videos and people are like i can see something's wrong but i don't know what i'm looking for and and someone who's done a lot of coaching done a lot of video analysis they'll be able to to see it, it'd be really clear and then they can give you a little bit of a, a plan going forwards because in, like we we're talking about with the five core principles if you try and work on your catch but you're you're rotating too far and your breathing's off then you're probably not going to be able to change it or you'll be limited with it so a coach can just help you give you that structure on on where to start yeah yeah totally and one thing that i would add as well is that there's a learning curve to taking good videos of yourself especially the the underwater part of it so you can just shortcut that by having somebody who's done a lot of video analysis help you help you with that um but but that being said if somebody wants to to do it on their own what angles of video would you recommend that somebody gets for their own footage the two main ones if it's underwater is just swimming towards the camera and swimming side on and normally when you're recording side on you need to be two or three lanes across in order to see it fully. So with the GoPro, if you're too close to it, you're not going to see much of what's happening. So just make sure it's it's far enough away. And I often uh, often get the question, uh, how do I record myself? Well, uh, if they use something like a flexible tripod, like a gorilla pod or just something with bendy legs, and you can attach your GoPro or your phone to, to one of these 
then uh, you can put it on the bottom of the pool or attach it to the lane line and uh, wrap the legs around there. So there's, yeah, a, a GoPro and a gorilla pod or a flexible tripod's really helpful. And if you're a coach and you're looking to to film, well, we use an extendable. It's almost like almost like a selfie stick, but it's for a GoPro. Uh, and it's, I think it's like a 36 inch extendable stick um, with the GoPro. And then we can follow people along the pool. We get the side view under the water, side view above. We get the bird's eye view, so looking from on top, and then the the front view as well. And if we got enough time, we'll try and get like diagonal view under the water as well, looking towards the swimmer. Um, what do you have? You filmed yourself before? Have you used stuff to? Yeah, yeah. So, so what I but what you say there about the coach being able to follow—that's, in my opinion, one of the other biggest advantages of having somebody else film you, whether it's a coach or or yeah. just a friend, that you get a longer section of actually seeing yourself uh, in the side view, in particular. But but what I do when I film myself, I have a suction cup for my GoPro, which you can just attach to to the wall of uh, of the pool, and then you see yourself when you when you swim past it, or you can attach it to the um, to the, the short end of the pool, and when you swim towards it, so so you get so the suction cup is another option in addition to the the gorilla uh, gorilla pod. Um, but but yeah, I, I think I agree. Like when when you have somebody, if if you can team up with a friend and get one of those longer sticks to attach your GoPro, or well, the best option of course being to see a coach. But but if you can get somebody else, then you get a lot more out of that because you can get these other views, the, and you can get a longer section at each view. I do find that it's mm-hmm. a little bit tricky to to analyze yourself with just the kind of three or four strokes that you see in that frame when the when the gopro is stationary yeah yeah definitely agree like it's and sometimes you need a couple of of strokes to really get a sense of it like if you can record let's say it's like eight to ten strokes for half a lap and it's on the side and then you can just roll through it in slow motion with a maybe an analysis app or even slow motion on your your phone or the the gopro app like you can then get a much better understanding of what's going on uh, all the way through it so uh i think some's better than none but if you can get it done well it's like wow okay this is this is what i'm doing and and now i know what i need to to change yeah and speaking of apps well what apps do you like using when when analyzing videos yes uh, we use two coach's eye is quite good if you're analyzing your own video or a couple of friends Uh, we use one called skillist which is actually a golfing app but for what we do with lots of people at clinics that's how we generally um, will analyze them, and um, well, what was yeah. it called? Skill skills or yeah, uh, it's called Skillist S K I double L E S T, and it's yeah, it's, it's a golfing golf coaching app. But they say golfing is a lot like swimming, so uh, it's 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 good for what we do with our our clinics, and uh, yeah, but it's either of those two, just depending on the situation. Mm, got it. And uh, in terms of frequency of video analysis, what, what do you think is a good frequency to to do it? Yeah, I'd say minimum every three months would be kind of the the, the least you'd want to look at your stroke. When I'm working with people with our with our stroke analysis coaching, I I'll usually get them to send a video every week, at least in the beginning, because it's that's when we could, we're working on more things, and then it will often spread out to maybe every two or three or four weeks after that but initially uh, every week and obviously that's not 
an option for a lot of people that might not have that opportunity. But if you do have your own camera, it's I'll often get them to focus on one or two things in that first analysis and then we'll check it in a week's time once they've had a chance to practice it and then make corrections from there. So I think the more regular you can do it, the better, and that way you can stay on top of the changes because sometimes you might think you're making a change but nothing's changing at all. So if you can be consistent with it, get that fairly immediate feedback. It's, it's going to help you shortcut your uh, shortcut that time it takes to be swimming better. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so then let's move on to discussing some of the, the kind of fitness side of, of swim training and uh, how and when to do that. So so let's let's say we're talking about a very well-rounded age group triathlete and they're already working on technique, they're incorporating that, they're doing they're getting some quite recent, reasonably regular video to to improve their stroke technique as well. But how would you for example structure a week of let's say three swims as you mentioned as the kind of minimum uh, in in broad strokes in terms of what they're working on in those different sessions? I like to usually have if it was three three sessions a week it would depend on the person but generally we'll have one threshold variable pace session one aerobic longer session and then depending on on where they're at we might have a maybe another threshold session or we might do um some speed and some some skills work for that third one but i'd say if if they're just doing three we'd probably go two threshold and variable pace one aerobic because if they're training for a half Ironman or an Ironman, we want to make the most of those three swims a week. And so for me, like a, an aerobic session will be, might be a bit longer. Let's say it was four or five K, for example. And some of that might be with um, pool buoy, paddles. Um, we're just looking to hold a fairly steady pace, but just get a bit more distance in the arms. And then the other two sessions with the threshold and variable pace, it's, uh, it's looking to, if, if you go by like, CSS pace or critical swim speed, if that's something that you're, you're used to as a, like a, a marker, it's often working off that sort of pace. But we're basically like looking to be working reasonably hard within that that session and be getting down close to race pace, maybe just above it, and uh, and changing speeds as we're, we're going through it. So those, those other two sessions are often pretty reasonably hard, but I think it's, it's important. So, um, yeah, I've had a couple of... Uh, athletes on the on the podcast and they like professional triathletes and um, you know one of them was was talking about like for him he swims three times a week and he's usually front pack and he says in those three swims he wants his, to feel like his arms are going to fall off so he's doing like five to six k each one and they're all pretty hard so by the end he's yeah he, he's he's pretty cooked by the end of it that's obviously not best for everyone but I get the I get the idea where. You want to make sure you're actually doing something in those those three swims, yeah. If that's all you can fit into the week, yeah. And when you incorporate the variable pace in threshold sets, can you explain that a little bit more? So, are you working from something? If if you use CSS as a marker, for example, something that is uh, a little bit uh, slower than CSS to something that's a little bit faster than CSS, and then just alternating through, or, or how? What, what would an example set be? Yeah, yeah. So either yeah, starting a bit slower than CSS and getting to, to a bit quicker than that I'm, I like to go off uh, perceived effort to me that's a really good way to develop your skills as a as a swimmer to be able to know how how fast can I go for the speed that I'm going to get as, as a result and what can I hold for a race so with perceived effort like a set a set for example that 
the squad that I swim with uh, that, that we've been doing recently is we'll go 800 and and look this is a this is when you're, you're pretty fit and um, you know maybe towards the tail end of your racing season but so we, we were going 800 at 70 percent then we go four 100s at 85 percent and I would consider that to be like let's say it's your CSS pace then we went uh, 600 at 80 percent then we did the four 100s at 85 and then we did uh, 400 at 90 percent and then the four 100s at 85 percent again so with the longer intervals we were just getting quicker as we went and then holding steady for the for the four ones so uh yeah i've I found that to be uh to be a really good one but uh yeah and it's and the thing about perceived effort is that it's it's going to be different for the different distances you're doing so the 85 percent 100s are actually going to be a bit faster than the 400 at 90 percent because your 90 percent for 400 is going to be different than you know 90 percent for 100 so um it's just the perceived effort for that that interval uh, alone yeah. so that's the the difference there it's not like 90 percent of your css sort of thing so just making sure that people understand that that concept but i'm a big fan of perceived effort because you can get really good at um yeah at, at, at finding the right pace when you when you race which is i know is a, a challenge for people who are who are new to the sport so those sort of sets can help yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I haven't prescribed anything based on CSS in in a good couple of years. I think well, uh, it's it's all perceived effort, and I, I tend to use quite a mm. bit of uh, just verbal cues like threshold effort or endurance effort or I, I, and race pace, race efforts like Ironman effort would be a steady, pretty steady aerobic, but not slow aerobic. Have uh, 7.3 effort, Olympic effort is kind of the same as 7.3 effort. So I, I don't tend to use the both of them too much, but it tends to be 7.3 to Olympic effort would also be kind of a threshold effort for me. And, and then sprint, sprint distance effort would be more of a VO2 effort almost or close to, close to a VO2 effort anyway for the faster swimmers. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I, I'm with you there. Uh, and uh, then let's see here. Um, so one thing that I, I would like to ask as well is uh, if what are the differences for the very advanced swimmers or quite advanced swimmers anyway compared to the more beginner swimmers, but still assuming that we're, we are working on technique already and we're taking that into account, are there any differences in the types of sets? I mean, proper, of course, things like distance and, and paces will be different, but, but do you feel that the same kind of general structure of the week can can be quite uh, quite similar between between different levels of, of swimmers it, it it can be i think if someone comes from a swimming background they can usually they can usually roll through their sessions without needing to do a a, a whole lot sort of thing like sometimes if that people have got that swimming background it's they, they can get away with uh with just doing doing the swims and uh, perhaps taking it a, a, a bit easier, or yeah, just making sure they have some sort of swim fitness. That said, not that you'd you know want want them to do that. You obviously want them to do the sessions uh, to the best of their ability. But I think for uh, you, you can certainly give them uh, similar similar sessions. But I think for someone who doesn't come from that swimming background, they it takes a while to learn how to push yourself in the pool. Or, and push yourself in the water. So the sets that that they do, I think uh, it is important to make sure that they track their speed throughout a session because many of the the, the beginners or early stage uh, swimmers they 
they're not looking at their at the clock. They might not be tracking their their pace on their on their watch or in their form goggles when they're swimming. So you might ask them like, "What's your your best four hundred? They might not know, or they might just be doing a set of ten one hundreds and they're not looking at what each each interval is. And so it, while the workouts can be the same, I think just knowing what to focus on and, and what the real goals of the session are is probably the, the, the most important thing there. And I think a good coach will explain that and help them understand what's important for the for the workout uh, because when you go from a getting in the water, swimming 2K straight, uh, going as hard as you can to then actually having some well-structured sessions and knowing what pace you're trying to hit and then you know, going about that, it's uh, that's when you often see the better results in, in the races when people become that type of swimmer. Yeah, no, those are all good points. I, I tend to tend to find that, especially with the longer intervals, the, the newer swimmers, the more beginner swimmers, uh, they kind of, well, one thing might be just that pacing is difficult, but but also yeah. just remembering to focus on on pushing yourself if that is to go about the session becomes more difficult. So so I, I like to give shorter intervals, even when working on the same thing for for the more beginner swimmers so if we we're doing a threshold set then maybe maybe i would like to have my advanced swimmers do more like 300s and 400s but uh, for the beginners it might be more like 100s and just to make sure that they uh, they can stay focused and, and keep pushing through those and then get a little mental reset after each one yeah I, th- I think that's that's perfect isn't it because they with that lesser distance they not only get the physical rest but i think mentally as well they can can switch off a little bit and then you can switch back on and and that's when they can sustain their technique throughout the whole session with but with let's say an 800 interval to begin with they're probably it's probably going to fall apart towards towards the end so uh yeah i think that's a great approach yeah um and then finally, on, on this topic, so with regard to volume, when, again, let's say that we're limited to three swings per week, do, do you, how, how do you view the volume there? Do you, do, you, do you look at that in terms of the distance or the time? Because obviously a faster swimmer will cover more distance in the same time. So, so would you, do you like all of those three swings to be at least an hour or do you have any sort of guidelines around, around the volume that we get in, into each session? Yeah, as as you said, it's going to be the the slow swimmers will take longer to do a, a four a three or a four k set. So, I'd, minimum we usually want the session to be an hour. I think that's probably the the least you'd want it to be if you're doing three swims a week. Uh, so yeah, go, going by that, usually going a bit more by by uh, time spent, and also for people who might be working, they might have kids. You know, it's. Uh, they might only have that one hour to ninety minute slot in their in their calendar. So while the sessions that I will typically write will be, you know, we're looking to achieve a, a roughly a, a certain distance. I'm not fixated on the amount of distance that people do each week because you could do ten k of of rubbish swimming that you, where you're just floating up and down, or you could do eight k where there's good structure, you're changing pace, you're hitting your, your time. So I'm not. I'm not concerned necessarily with the distance that people do. When we're looking at distance, you know, primarily that's with people who are looking to train for longer swimming-based events like a 10 or a 20K swim where we want to look at uh, the volume that they're doing each week and managing that and building it up. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not overly fixated on the, on that with uh, many of the athletes or the triathletes that I'd, I'd coach. Where do, where do you lie on that? Um, yeah, I'm kind of the same. I, I 
take into account the athlete's speed in the pool. And then I have an idea that, okay, for this swim, I wanted to swim an hour and then I plan the distance and, and the set according to, to that. And then if it's an hour and a half, then I plan the, dif- the distance differently. I, I do think that what you say there with an hour as the minimum, I think that's a very important point because one thing that I see, let's say when I'm starting working with an athlete and, and the swim is a problem for them or a weakness for them, one of the reasons, as I, I think we kind of alluded to it, is, is often just not swimming enough. And uh, yeah. it might be that they have the intention to do three swims per week and three one-hour swims per week, but then they actually end up doing two 40 to 45-minute swims and then they miss the third one because life gets in the way. And they, that means that they get an hour 20, an hour 30 minutes of swimming instead of three hours of swimming. And And that's a massive difference, obviously, if you get an hour and a half of swimming each week rather than three hours of swimming each week. So, so I think that's mm. a great point. And, and I do with, with swimmers that are, or athletes that are at least quite relatively ambitious and have high goals. I, I like them to get in at least one swim per week. That is an hour 15, but quite often with athletes that have the time, I like them to do one uh, 90 minute swim per week at least. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's great, and that's that longer aerobic session that I mentioned earlier. That's I think that's a that's the one where you want to try and get up to um, to ninety minutes, and yeah. it's uh, yeah, like uh, I think people look at it, let's say they've just started triathlon or they've been doing it I don't know, half a year or so. People look at an hour swimming and initially think that means I've actually got to swim for an entire hour, but when you break it down with a with a set. And it's broken down well by by a coach with a, a good warm up, and then the the main set's interesting, and it might sort of follow a, a nice pattern or build upon itself, where you're not going all out in the beginning, you're gradually building into it. Those sort of sessions will go quite quickly for people. So I think uh, the structure of the set can be really uh, can be really important there as well for helping people swim for that hour, <clears throat> swim for that hour without getting. Um, bored or uh, too exhausted halfway through it and, and so on so uh, that's that's where I think uh, you yeah, know we, we see some changes with people when they actually follow a, a good type of set rather than just swimming continuously for now because I'd be afraid of that too right now with my fitness yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely and to be, to be honest we're talking about somebody in their in their let's say first year even potentially first two years of triathlon well at least the first year uh, at, at that point I'm not really worried about how long the sessions are it's more about consistent and frequent swimming so mm-hmm. I, I would still like them to swim three times per week ideally but but if it's if one of them is 30 minutes and one of them, and the others are 45 minutes then i would be perfectly okay with that uh, at, at that stage of their career i'm not saying that it wouldn't be beneficial for them to go longer but but when just getting into it uh, i i would just prioritize as long as you're consistent and you're swimming relatively frequently that's that's fine and we can we can increase the duration of the sessions a bit later on but it's when you get to that sort of uh, late beginner early intermediate stage and, and especially if you get stuck and stagnated that's where i think that if you look at okay well, what is the problem uh, well, one of the potential problems is obviously some sort of technique issue but but then the other thing is that quite often it's just not enough total swimming in there for for the reasons we mentioned before yeah, yeah, totally agree. And like the the big rocks that that are going to move your swing forwards, the main two I think are, are technique and the training and consistency. And then if you were to have a a third in there, 
it's probably going to be your open water skills. Uh, that's the, that'd be the third one. So if you get those those things right, uh, then that's the, that's what's going to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so a couple more questions before the rapid fire ones. And uh, well, I want to ask you about the kind of seasonal or even multi-year development arc for let's say somebody that is uh, on the kind of they want to go to Kona or maybe they have already qualified for Kona. They, they want to get a good placement in Kona or send three words or something like that. Um, how do you, how do you think that they should approach the swim? If that is their weakness and they feel that or an Ironman swim, they, they swim an hour 15 and they want to swim one hour or something like that. Um, at a 10,000 foot view or the course of a season or several seasons, uh, what are some just tips or pieces of advice that you would give them? Similar to what we talked about earlier, I would say, particularly for someone who's qualified for Kona or around that sort of level, video analysis would be the the first thing. And I, it can be a challenge for some people to get, but there's there's ways to get it. And that is going to be the best thing that, that they could do for their, their swimming to actually see what they're, they're doing if they haven't done that before. Then just having that that patience to to develop their technique and uh, and not looking to to rush the changes and not be too concerned with their speed particularly in the the early stages of their their season so that i mean the best time to work on your stroke is going to be at the start of the season but that said you can still improve it later on uh, within the season but we wouldn't want to be changing too much leading into like one or two months out from your a race that you've been training for for perhaps half a year or, or or the full year. So um starting at the right time would be would be good as well. And then uh just make sure you get that that check in with your technique and and how it's going because it's uh you know you, you might have made those improvements and then there's it's time to focus on something else. Uh aside from aside from that, having a, a coach just to to work with or having a squad to swim with can be uh can be really beneficial as well. So if if you're covering those sorts of bases, you're you're usually going to be you know, looking looking pretty good with things. But over the course of two, three, four years, you can make some some huge improvements in your swimming. Even short term, you know, in six months, you can make some huge improvements in your in your swimming. And I was I did a podcast. Uh, I think it was the start of this year with a, a swimmer in Sydney, and she did a clinic with us in might have been December. And she practiced things for until sort of I think it was Feb or March. So for two or three months, she was practicing, practicing, and her times weren't changing. And then she all of a sudden it clicked and she took 10 to 15 seconds off per hundred with her stroke. And then her race was about another, I think, a month out after that. So she sort of she started about four months out from her, her A race. So it all came to together for her. And I, I think, you know, for her, if she just didn't have belief that she could actually get better, she would have given up with those changes within a week or two. So as, as long as you just keep practicing, keep practicing and, and have faith that uh, that the right technique, the right changes can really make a, a difference and, and, and you're patient, patient with it, then uh, then those results can can come. Uh, so, the, yeah, that's kind of the, the approach I would take it for one of those for an athlete at that level. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and the thing with, with that example is that all she had – some specific things that she she was practicing it isn't just about practice for practice's sake you know like because of the the clinic and everything she she had a few 
process goals in these are the things that I'm working on, these are the things that I'm improving. So I think that's that's important because you can, I think, especially with athletes, triathletes that have been in the game for several years, uh, it's so easy to get stuck in a rut and you keep swimming, you keep being consistent, but you you stop improving at some point. And uh, Mm. yeah, you just have to have those couple of things, couple of goals that you're working working on achieving and, and that helps that, that helps so much when, when you can when you work towards something specific. I, I can break down your big goals, swimming faster in Ironman or a half Ironman to well what are the things that I need to improve in my technique or what are the splits I need to achieve in the pool. And it's and it's not always going to be this upward trajectory. I think of it as like someone walking up a mountain that's going to be the the path that they want to take with you know, swimming getting better at the top of the mountain but it's it's like you're the yo-yo with that person working uh, walking up it so it's not going to be always good you, you will have some times where maybe you, you plateau maybe you get a little bit slower but then you can continue improving so that's the that's the normal path for for a lot of people so to not get discouraged if they uh, yeah if they don't uh, see improvements uh, every single single time with it so yeah it's uh it's it's the way to go and it's it's just uh patient it, it yeah it, it makes a big difference not only with actually uh, making changes to it but also just being uh with how you swim because uh, when you when you do just sort of uh, chill out and you're relaxed you, you just move so much better sort of like a, like we spoke about at the start and uh, and you can see it with when people walk into the pool you can see someone's attitude as well. Like I, as a coach, I sort of like to watch people as they come in and they get ready for the swim. You can see those swimmers that might be a bit nervous or they might be a little bit reserved and that often comes out in their swimming. So sometimes I like to let the swimmers know, like come into the pool like you like you own the place, like you are confident, like you know you can swim well and that can transfer into your, your swimming because uh, if you come in, shoulders hunched over head down like i guarantee you're probably going to swim that way mm, yeah no that's that's a really great point uh and then uh, i want to ask you just a general question what's one thing that you're currently learning about or are curious about or fascinated by and why there's t- two things i'll go through quickly one is a uh, bit of strength training i'm working with the gym uh, gym here nearby and just going through some a different type of strength training that i've done before and i haven't done a whole lot with strength strength training but i'm excited about seeing the results of of this type of training and the other one is just uh sort of exploring a bit of breath work and breath control and seeing how that uh helps my swimmers so they're two things at the moment perfect and uh then let's roll into the rapid fire question so take just one sentence to answer each of these and the first one is, what's your favorite book or resource related to swimming, triathlon, or endurance sports? Well, I'd say uh, Sheila Tiamina's book, Swim Speed Secrets, is probably one of the best ones that I've come across. And what's an important habit that you've benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? A habit, uh, getting up early. And who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? Uh, I would say my my dad for his passion and uh and ability to stay long term with things awesome and uh, finally brenton where can listeners find you uh on all the media the internet uh, just feel free to list uh everything and, and also if you have any projects or anything going on that you want to promote uh now's a good time to do that 
Thank you. Uh, EffortlessSwimming.com is our website and all of our social media handles are at Effortless Swimming, so you'll find us there. And uh, if you haven't seen any of the videos that we do before, YouTube's probably a good place to, to start. And, uh, yeah, in terms of what we've got coming up, so uh, if you're a beginner, we've got a beginner freestyle course that I'm hopefully releasing in the next week or two for people who can't swim 400 continuously yet. And then also uh, in development with a swim paddle that will help swimmers improve their catch just with how it's designed so i'm excited for for that and i'm hoping we're hoping to launch that on kickstarter in february so uh yeah keep an eye out for that it's uh yeah i think it should be a good paddle for for triathletes and uh, it's been a long time coming so i'm excited for those couple of things coming up yeah that's exciting exciting news thank you so much brenton it's been great to catch up uh lots of great great tips for improving their swimming so uh, yeah really appreciate it and hope to chat to you again soon Yep, thanks for having me on, Michael. Appreciate it. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Brenton. I definitely enjoyed talking to him a lot and uh, learned a lot and uh, looking forward to the next time. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode on scientifictriathlon.com with links to Brenton's or the Effortless Swimming website, YouTube, podcast, and Instagram. Also, the previous interview that I did with Brenton back in episode 18, if you want to go and listen to that. And remember that you can find all previous swimming-related episodes of that triathlon show by going to the podcast page and just filter for swimming. We have that as one of the categories, and uh, you can just easily find all of the previous swimming episodes and interviews that we've done over there. I'll link to that as well in the show notes. It's January now, and a lot of people are looking for training plans or coaching for their summer races. And if that's you, then definitely go and check out scientifictriathlon.com and the options that we have to offer there and email me if you have any questions about either training plans or coaching we have helped hundreds of athletes and we would love to help you as well stay tuned to the podcast as well subscribe if you haven't already because next monday we have another interview coming out and this one will be with associate professor max paquette on the topics such as quantifying training load in running also ground surfaces and their relation to load and injury risk and much much more related to running and biomechanics and so on it's a really good conversation so i highly recommend you subscribe and tune in for that one Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs and individualize your plan, and book a free video consultation with a team to refine your strategy. Use the code TTS22 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, tri suits, swimskins, goggles, and exceptional sunglasses and prescription glasses for everything from day to day wear to extreme action sports. Use the promo code that you can get on roka.com for slash TTS to get 20% off your entire Roka order. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft.